Welcome back to another episode of Bopcast. And today I have something different for you. I have a podcast interview. I've been on over 40 different podcasts and I do not choose to highlight many of them here on Bopcast. They're all great, um, but I do like to choose the best possible content for you. And today I have an episode that fits that mold specifically. This is with my friend, Justin Nolan, also known as Just Tries. He runs the Just Keep Learning podcast and he works with an incarcerated youth to help them grow and thrive in their life. So I'm extremely grateful to have this opportunity to be on this podcast today, and I would love to share it with you. There's a lot of learnings, a lot of takeaways, and really to give you the summary, um, we go through my background, which you may have heard of some before, but I also touch on some details that I've never shared on a podcast before. We talk about podcasting business. If you are looking to do anything in your life specific, whether that's a side hustle, a business, a podcast, um, whatever that might be, this is definitely going to be valuable for you. So I want to thank Justin for having me today. I appreciate you watching and listening. And as you know, this is a 100% listener supported show. We don't have ads or sponsors right now. So I really appreciate it if you could just share this with somebody who may find it valuable today. So thank you so much for tuning in, listening and watching. All the links and timestamps are in the description below. And let's get to the episode with my friend, Justin. If I brought you into the jail that I work in with youth, where they love creating hip hop and they're very entrepreneurial, but I asked you to introduce yourself, who are you and what do you do? Justin, thank you so much, man, for having me. I'm excited to do this. I've never, like, I haven't kind of decided on anything specific on how I introduce myself. You know, <laughs> if you want, I'll go with the titles first so we can, you know, contextualize myself a little bit easier. So I'm a founder of a company. Um, I'm a rapper. I'm a DJ. And I've had a girlfriend for three and a half years, which I think is really important as well, um, which is not something I had done before. So I'm a boyfriend now, dedicated. And yeah, man, I help people launch their podcasts and make podcasts. That's, that's really what I do in a simple way in terms of what I do for business. That's in the form of consulting, and we have a production company as well. Um, and then, yeah, I'm a rapper. I've been doing that for six or seven years. About to release a new song Thursday night. Probably when this out, it'll definitely be out. So maybe people can go check that out. I'm really trying to, I'm rethinking how I'm thinking about my music career and really all the things that I balance in my life. But, you know, to sum it up, man, like I'm multi passionate. I love doing what I love to do. I love bodybuilding. I love skimboarding. I love the outdoors. I live in a rural area. Like, I really just like to keep a balance of, uh, all the things that I'm interested in. And I must have some crazy ADHD or something because I always got to do something different all the time. So that's really a gist of myself. Uh, personally, yeah, there's other ways that I could go about describing myself, but I figured give them the well-rounded approach and then we can kind of move from there. 100%. And whatever it is that leads to the multi-passionate thing is very common when it comes to this show, for sure. I've noticed that as a through line, I, I would say probably through every episode. And maybe it's because the type of guests that I'm having on are people who are motivated and interested in putting themselves out there. And that overlaps with the idea of being multi-passionate. I'm not too sure what it is, but definitely it's a common theme. In, in your case, what have you learned about being multi-passionate and being able to find as you put it balance or sort of balance. I feel like I haven't been able to find it, but I'm kind of coming to the realization that I'm not sure if it's achievable, but I think that's a good, it's a good thing if it's not, because the constant pursuit of trying to figure out where all the pieces fit is actually the pursuit itself. Like that is the enjoyment, I think, partially. And a lot of times we can get caught up in like outcomes of, oh no, my single didn't hit this, or my business quota this month didn't hit this, or I didn't get booked on this many podcasts or whatever the metric is. And then, you know, that can really, that can really blind us from the actual fun 
fun of trying to do a lot of the things that you enjoy doing. So I'm really trying to emphasize like for myself, the journey. And like, I'll say for instance, right? Like I was obsessed with fitness when I was younger from like 16 to like 19, probably I was really obsessed in high school and like trying to get bigger. And I was always the small kid. And I was always like, you know, not like picked last, but I wasn't like the most athletic kid in terms of like size wise, like I could always run faster than people, but I was never bigger than anybody. So that kind of got to me. So I was obsessed with that. Now um, I'm 24 and I'm becoming more interested in it. And I'm trying to figure out, I'm like, why am I so obsessed with this again? But I don't care why I'm just leaning into it all day long. I listen to bodybuilding podcasts, powerlifting, all this stuff, like, you know, changing my workouts, going back and dialing in my diet again and stuff like that. Um, it's not something I lost, but I'm just re a lot more interested in it now. This past summer, I mentioned these two things of, of uh, skimboarding as well. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm literally researching boards, buying a new board, like planning on potentially going out to California to go skim out there. Like, I'm just not questioning any of these things. I'm just leaning into them. And it can be easy to get caught up in, like I said, the outcomes. But also my business is moving in a direction where it's growing and I don't need to be like worried about it as I, the same way I used to be. Um, so that's kind of freeing up, I feel like my mental space. But really back to your question, I don't have a system or a way to balance the passions. I just try to lean into them if I feel like I'm really interested in them again. I don't really question it and go, nah, I should be doing this instead. I'm 24. I'm like, let me lean into being 24 and just kind of take them wherever they end up taking me. I love the saying care, but don't worry. And I know you said that you don't worry about them. And I love this idea of like, there's a big difference between worrying about something and caring about it. I was going to ask about the business, but you said you don't have to worry about it as much. And so in terms of just pragmatically scheduling those sorts of things out, though, as opposed to the philosophical what you decide to do, yeah. like, do you use a calendar? Do you do like when you get into the nitty gritty of that? What do you do to kind of keep the mind straight while you go into all these different things? Yeah, great question, man. I do keep a calendar. I didn't put this on my calendar and that's why I was four minutes late. So <laughs> that's and that's just a testament to, you know, me kind of figuring out that process for myself. But I'll tell you what I have figured out. I need physical notes. I don't need to refer to them all the time. I could get better at referring to them, but I definitely need to have physical notes. Like there's just something about the kind of digital notes that doesn't that does something different for me. I also need the digital notes. So my Apple notes, they're organized by folder. There's business within the business. There's five folders. I have an ideas folder that's only ideas. Um, then I have like, so I have all of these different folders on Apple Notes. So that's for me personally, the physical notes, the Apple Notes. I'm not a post-its guy. That's too unorganized for me. And yeah, the calendar, I really try to live by it. Like I don't, I'm not this type of person that on Sunday, I plan out every hour of my week. That's probably beneficial. I want to say that I wish I was, but I'm just not that person. I'm a little more go with the flow. I'm in sales. People book calls. They cancel calls. My schedule's a little up in the air uh, at times. So I'm not like overly rigid about it. But I do when I need to do something, I have to put it down in the calendar, Google Calendar immediately. And then when I'm talking to somebody on a call or whatever, I use my handwritten notes to kind of just jot while the conversation's going on. So that keeps me staying on track. I never write down more than three to five things in a day that I have to do because I know I'm just not going to do them. And I also try not to overly rely on checking boxes, you know, which I think is really easy. I'm the type of person, I'm not this like, like I said, I'm not a schedule my whole week on Sunday guy. I'm not a morning routine needs to be the same every day. I I don't do that, but I do have one, right? And it really like the answer to this question is like, I've found the things that work for me. I've done cold showers for 30 days. I've done workout at 7 a.m. every day. Like I've done all these different habits, intermittent fasting for a year and a half. Like I've done a lot of experiments on myself. I have a morning routine that I can do it and I feel great. If I don't do it, I don't feel bad, right? So that's the morning routine that I want to have. So it's really about like figuring kind of how to optimize all these things together. But like tools wise, like I said, physical notes, 
notes on the computer, on the Apple for the business, because this bleed, life and business is the same. They bleed into each other. Google Docs, and then we organize all the Google stuff in Notion. So I've been using Notion, which has been great for document organization, company organization, tasks for what we have to do and what the team has to do. So that's really how I do it in terms of how to organize it. Um, it's not, like I said, I try not to overly process anything, systematize anything, organize everything, but I just kind of have these little ways of, of doing it, whether it's online or offline to, to try to keep me on track. I love what you say there about not really having shame and guilt around not being able to achieve doing that morning routine or any part of keeping the balanced schedule, because I just tweeted this the other day that trying to control things in our external world, if we fail and we get super pissed off at ourselves in our internal world, isn't even worth it. Whether it's a better sleep routine, better exercise, better nutrition, or keeping, you know, that sort of like million dollar morning routine and you fail and then you get so angry at yourself. It's like <laughs> you just ruined probably doing it the last five days in a row. And it's really an interesting thing because as someone who's really hard on myself it, uh, traditionally, and I'm getting better at it, like self-talk or whatever, it's been really valuable for me to learn. And I want other people to be able to appreciate that too, because it took me some time, like I'm assuming, but maybe not. Were you hard on yourself before and kind of like what led to this shift? Yeah, definitely. I was definitely hard on myself before, but I think that there's, before I talk about myself, I think there's a culture that is like a morning routine culture or a habits culture that has pros and cons. But to say that these are the habits that like, you know, the hot success, successful people have is Warren Buffett's drinking Coca-Cola is like that ain't he's eating McDonald's. Like, is that a good habit? Like if you, if somebody tells you this is the thing, it's definitely not the thing. You know what I'm saying? So like, that's how I look at this now. I think my mind is just shifted in terms of like, first of all, like, I don't believe anything really that I see. So what I'm saying is if somebody tells has some kind of LinkedIn post about, hey, here's this habit or XYZ, like I do this every day, or this is what worked for me, like, I'll take your anecdotal story. But that's really it. Like, I'm just going to take everything with a grain of salt. So or just because somebody's successful doesn't mean that, you know, you have to do what they do. Like, most likely you don't like most likely it's not going to work for you. And I think like most people will disregard their kind of intuition and just go towards like somebody that they trust and kind of just like take their advice. You know, I've this all this my uh, mindset on advice have has shifted drastically because I now don't I just take everything with so much more of a grain of salt, no matter who you are. And I just believe that like most things don't work for everybody. So that's definitely how my mind has shifted. Yeah, I like definitely was harder on myself. And I was happy then too. I'm just different things make me happy now. I don't think that I'm even less hard on myself. I think I'm I'm just letting myself lean into other things that before I might have said, well, it's not on your strict routine. So don't do it. You know, I remember like planning out in college, like planning out every hour of my day to a T dialed 30, every 30 minutes, all that stuff. Like I was happy. I didn't have a problem with that. Like it didn't overwhelm me. Now maybe I'll get back to it and I'll love it. But like, I just think like anything that's end all be all, I'm not really going with at this point. Like I will read a book you know, I'll just try to get everything out of that book instead of before I'd be like, well, I'm going to read one book a month or two books a month, or I'm going to go for quantity. Now it's really about quality. If I, if I start listening to a podcast, I'm not getting stuff I can use, then I'm going to just turn it off. Right. So it's really about like a few things, the, how I take advice, the time. So how I manage my time now, um, which ties into all this. And then really just like knowing that it's going to be my experience. That's going to give me the answers ultimately, you know, rather than some buddy online or some book that I read. 
You know, one thing I've started doing recently is not reading books front to back anymore. I mean, in terms of the nonfiction space where it's not about a story per se, but something you can gain from it, like The Power of Now or Magic of Thinking Big. It's like flip through it and see like a, a, a chapter or even just a heading, a topic that it's like, oh, yeah, that's really going to be good today to give that little dopamine hit that'll help me on this journey. Yeah. But I don't need to read the book front to back and feel disappointed about not doing that because it's not a requirement. That's the thing. Nobody it's not a requirement. Mm -hmm. You know, when I read my first 10, five books on self-development, you know, I read them front to back because every idea was new. Every idea was like, how has nobody know this? You know, <laughs> now it's like, I've kind of heard it. Alex Ramosi said this. I was listening to his podcast today and he was like, typically older books are better because these people weren't trying to make a buck off their book. So a lot of them were just to feed the next generation. Like that's the type of stuff that I'm trying to find and also sift through in the modern age to mm -hmm. to find because a lot of it is like, like you said, man, like you don't read the whole book because it's probably not all applicable. Yeah. And that comes down to a time thing too. I do the same thing. I don't have a problem spending an audible credit and not reading it. It's just, I, I remember I got charged. Uh, I was in Dallas and I scheduled an Uber from the Airbnb to the airport, right? The Uber never came. And the guy just, he accepted the ride and left it on because they know that you're going to go to the okay. airport. So then you have to cancel it when you lose internet connection and then they'll get the money for not doing the ride. I never called Uber. Like I don't, like my time of hmm. me envisioning being on the phone with Uber is like, I I'd rather spend the 30 bucks and not get that back. Right. So that was the first time in my life, dude. You know, my parents weren't like cheap, cheap, but obviously we weren't like balling out or anything like that. Like it was all like things that you need, you buy. So, you know, I'm really trying to flip my own script, I think a little bit. And obviously, you know, grandparents, depression era, right? Like they pass that stuff down. Like I even like I'm teaching my my girlfriends like I want Tide Pods. I'm like, we're not doing those. We have to use a little bit of detergent. I'm like, what am I kidding? Right. But it really does. It really is crazy. Crazy, man. Anyway, probably went off there a little bit. No, I got you. I, I just last night, and I'll have to play this back for my wife when it when I upload this. And I don't know if she'll be happy or pissed, but either way, I, I think she'll appreciate it because it's nice to hear from somebody else. And I did not tell you to say that, but we were just talking last night. Our dealership with our car screwed up, and we basically have the option to go in there and get our you know forty five dollars back. And she's like, "So do you want to do that on Thursday night?" And I just went silent, and my brain and and heart are telling me like, "Nope, that's the last thing I want to do." <laughs> And that is also a testament to the fact that most people really won't do anything. Like you could give them the world. Like I always say that with content, right? Like give everybody all your secrets. They're not even going to do it. They're probably still going to hire you. And then if they do take your secrets and then your secrets, quote unquote, because come on, secrets. If they do take your advice and it works, then you're going to have infinite goodwill for life, right? So it's like, but I, I, I do believe that like most of us are not really motivated to do much. <laughs> it takes a lot to get motivated to, to, to do something that isn't in your average day-to-day -day kind of activities, you know? And for me, it's the weighing the $45 and the traditional mindset that was similarly passed down. I can speak to that exact thing that you were talking about learning from my family. And we all learn from our parents and so mm -hmm. on and so forth. Like that same idea of like getting better at being like, is $45 and the time and stress it takes to speak to these people as I go in there worth being able to edit a podcast episode, for example? It's true. It's true. And you're not going to get that back time back that you go to the dealership and have to do that exchange. So yeah, I'd rather just sit and stare at my kids coloring or something. <laughs> yeah, right. I'd rather go make another sale or like spend the energy on that, you know? 
Yeah, 100%. So there are so many amazing topics that I know we can dive into before we get too far away from like the chronological a bit as you were sharing in the introduction, these different headings of things you do, whether it's podcasting or music or being a business owner or boyfriend. Let's go a little bit back in terms of the journey, like chronologically, if you took us through your young kid in school and you're going into all these things, how do we get to where we are here in November 2022? Yeah, it's it's a good question. People don't ask me that as much. I enjoy talking about it, to be honest with you, because I don't talk about it too much. But yeah, I mean, I grew up in a rural area. Like there was a couple kids like around my house, but it like it's very spread out. So, you know, there might be... 30 people or maybe 50 people per square mile or something like that. Like maybe where I live, like I might be completely off, but basically there's no apartment buildings. It's not like I walk down the street and I don't see a person, you know, I might see some cars, but I don't see a person. So that's kind of the vibe where I grew up and there's way less people even when I was growing up. So, you know, I grew up as a real kid, man. I just, I had like a little gator that I rode around and I just hung, did stuff in the woods and outside. And um, my dad is a blue collar guy. You know, he was always doing projects, teaching me, um, you know, I was always on jobs with him uh, doing side jobs and kind of learning like, you know, how these things work and, and work ethic. I definitely got from him, and my grandfather. But, you know, it was at the point in middle school where I had a friend who made YouTube videos. He had, I think he got, you know, half a million views or something. We were probably 12 years old, 13 years old. And that was a light bulb for me. I'm like, okay, I'm going to try this. And I tried it and I made videos for a year or two. And I finally got a video to get a couple hundred thousand views. And I was like 13. And I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world. And then I quit. Then I stopped making videos. So at that point, you know, my life was progressing. I was going into high school. I didn't want to be a nerd. I didn't want to be considered a YouTube kid or whatever. It wasn't cool like it is now. Like contents like creation is cool now. Everybody does it. It wasn't cool back then, man, 10 years ago. So you didn't want to be Mr. Beast. You know, if I, Mr. Beast, <laughs> if I would have had that influence, man, totally, maybe I would have, but no, not back then. But he was, a, he was a nerd. You guys must be around the same age too. Yeah. I think he's like my age, maybe 24. Yeah. He's way further ahead than me, dude. I got to do something different, bro. What's <laughs> happening with my YouTube? I got to start spending a million dollars a video, you know, but, but that guy's story is great. So grassroots, man. Like if I would have stuck with gaming, I probably would have totally had a fo huge following or whatever. Yeah. Um, But, but I lost interest in that anyway. So it made sense that I didn't want to keep doing it and fast forward a little bit man i i was hanging hanging out with my friend like i said super interested in fitness and lifting we would bang pre-workout to the dome um and then we would just do work out for like three hours every day and after that we were still hyped up so we were freestyle and rap and he would put on rap beats i'm like what's this beat what's that i'm like rap i don't know listening to rap i knew eminem that was it so he introduced me to hip-hop man and and it kind of went from there we released a diss track my whole school listened to it i had a verse he had a verse and our friend produced it who was way more talented at production than we were at rap but it still worked but it was really that journey for me of going from when I was 13, kind of having a little bit blip of that, like five seconds of fame or whatever, and then just kind of quitting it completely. And then finding this music later on, which like ended up, I was wondering why I played guitar for so long, but I, I never really did anything with it. And I think it led me to be finally like getting into music, releasing it and then being like, oh my God, like I can just make music. People listen to it. That's crazy to me, you know? Um, so that was really the journey of from when I was a kid to like how I progressed in terms of making content. And I'll leave this story with, I'll leave the story with this, which is when I was a kid, before I made gaming videos, I made card trick videos in my living room. And I would teach you how to do a card trick. Hmm. My second podcasting client ever was a mentalist and a professional card thrower who was on Jackass. And uh, he's been on stages globally. He's been on the Ellen Show. So it's crazy. Like a lot of these things, like from playing guitar to rapping, from doing card tricks to working for the magician, like a lot of things came full circle later on.
Yeah. And in terms of going from the creative, which I know we're going to dive back into because I'm excited to talk about those different things into the business, where did the business and podcasting part enter the picture? Was that after hip hop? How old were you or how recent was that part that podcasts started becoming a part of it? Yeah. So I left off at the music. So I'll take it from there. So like I'm making music, right? I'm probably like 17, something like that. I graduate high school and I go into community college and all my friends left to go to regular college, except for like two of us. The ones that were still there, I was friends with, but we weren't like super duper tight. And time went by. I just felt a little, I honestly just felt lost and didn't know what to do. I loved podcasting. I love podcasts. I love Joe Rogan, Tim Ferriss. Um, don't remember who else I was listening to at that point. It's mostly probably just Joe, but I love the medium, man. And and I figured I'm dumb enough to start one. So I'll just start one. And I remember, you know, I ran the idea by a few kids a, a while before that. And they were like, yeah, totally. We'd listen to it. And that was enough for me. So I started it, did two episodes by myself. In my community college class, I'm I'm in community college. I'm learning self-development. I'm learning meditation. I'm really trying to help myself, right? And I meet this guy named Dan Valente, and uh, he made six figures on the stock market at like 22, 21. I was like 19. He was a little a few years older than me, but he had a nice car. He had really nice clothes. Apparently, he made a lot of money. So I said, you're coming on my podcast, my man. And so <laughs> he was my first guest back in 2018. Uh, it was a little over, I guess, four years ago now. And that was my start in podcasting. Mm. That led me to... I was a mechanic during this time. That was my job, you know, from high school to into college. Honestly, just I would come home and make podcasts and music. And I just didn't feel like working on cars anymore as much as I enjoyed it. I just liked this other stuff better and had another kid on my podcast who made six figures uh, doing social media management at 23 years old. And I said, okay, I'll just copy what you did. So he sent me scripts. He was like, this is what you do. I said, I'm making six figs, baby. Didn't <laughs> I made 80 bucks in three months. <laughs> That's interesting for sure. And so, yeah. uh, curious aside a bit, Art of Manliness, was that a show that you listened to at all? Because a lot of people l lump that in with the Tim Ferriss and the Joe Rogan and those kind of earlys. And then that was for sure one of the ones, those two as well. But Art of Manliness was one of those first ones that I listened to a lot uh, that kind of led to me being like, oh, you know, I, I could make a show someday too. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like that natural progression. What was that first show for you though? What was it about? Was it about that idea of making money? So the first, uh, my idea was, it was called the Millennial Mind Podcast, okay? Now, I had no idea that I'm like the youngest. I can't even, I'm, it sucks because I'm in between men, millennial or whatever. Is it younger than that? Of X, Y, Z? I don't know which one it is, but <laughs> I'm not really a millennial. They Most of them are much older than me, so it doesn't make sense. Like, I'm at like the youngest end of it. Uh, but anyway, I still made the Millennial Mind because I consider myself that. And, you know, I was like, okay, I'll make a podcast for like people my age who are literally just trying to figure it out. Yeah, that was my only mindset. Um, but the actual reason the show started is because I was doing these one minute Instagram videos called Monday Thoughts. And they were one minute long, right when Instagram introduced video, no reels yet. And I would do a one minute video just talking to the camera, walking around my yard or something, talking about some concept that I was reading in a book. Mm -hmm. I used a um, concept from the book Sapiens by Yuval Harari that details the history of humankind. And I just did one video on it. And I'm like, this is just not enough time to explain this concept. People were interested in the concept. So what I did was I just basically got my webcam up, bought a mic on Amazon and just used the podcast as an extension of those Monday thoughts of half of it was like, hey, we're going through this time. We're young. Let's figure it out. We're figuring it out together. And then the other half was expanding on concepts that, you know, I wasn't fully familiar with. So it was like half rambling and half just like a soft mission, uh, but what not too concrete. And then, like I said, once I found my first guest, it was guests only from that point on. And, and now I've gone back to solo episodes, which is interesting. I like them. 
I like to, I like the, it's a different animal for sure. But yeah, man, I started with that. And then on episode eight, I had a friend be like, Hey, you should just change this dude. Like you should make it your show. I'm like, all right, what do you think I should call it? He's like, try call it Bob, Bobcast, Bobcast. Okay. That sounds good. <laughs> and I just changed it, man. Episode eight. So it's been Bobcast ever since it's evolved uh, into kind of fitting a little bit of a different audience now, but, but that's really the evolution of the podcast. Yeah, which is so cool because I think people overthink the planning of a podcast now with the good fortune of just creating a show and having it have some success. I've had enough people just inbound ask me for support, whether it's locally and they're very much just starting like a high school kid at a, at a school that I'm dropping in to help out in or friends, family or people online with bigger brands asking, you know, like, do you have any ideas how I could start or these sorts of tips? And a lot of us overthink that. And mm -hmm. I actually had the opportunity to talk to a John Lee Dumas a couple of weeks ago, and he was the one that talked me into he was the third person to bring it up but he was finally the one that i listened to to start adding solos and for the longest time i was like i didn't want to mess with the vibe and the brand and the consistent message that this is an interview show because i was raised on art of manliness tim ferris joe rogan and then later rich roll it's like we're going to sit across the table from each other i'm going to ask you questions and that format was what i knew really yep. and dave Meltzer was the first person to say you should really be uploading solos i was like thanks but no thanks in fairness because i just wasn't appreciating why. And then John Lee Dumas really broke down the why for me and was like, and I don't even want it. He, he said, I don't even want your response. Like, just do it. And then in six months, let me know how it's going. And uh, by far and away, they're all the most downloaded episodes. Wow. People reach out to mention that they really like the episodes, that kind of thing. The actual podcast algorithm grabs them somewhat and people listen that I hadn't expected. Whereas with the interview shows, I can kind of know who's going to listen and that kind of thing. So that part was really interesting. I thought it was going to be confusing, but I've been excited to be doing them. So I can really relate to what you're saying in that regard. If you don't mind me asking, how was the recording side of that? Like you going in? Because for me, I thought I was going to do a 15 minute episode and I ended up being 45 and I had no idea. I just completely lost track of time. Like it still ended up being okay. But how was the recording side of it for you? Uh, let me ask a, a question first back yeah. and because I think that'll help too. Mm -hmm. When you mentioned that you had the webcam set up, were you making video and audio? Always, yeah, from the beginning. Now, I did take a, a stint off video, uh, which was interesting. Dude, everybody went to audio. <laughs> Shout out to all my listeners, man, and all my watchers because they all went to audio. It was fantastic. Like, it was really cool to see that, that they I wouldn't really lose them. I probably definitely lost some, but my perspective on it's different now. I I, I just believe that even if, if there's one person that wants to watch the video, just, let, just make it for them. Mm -hmm. From there, it's mm -hmm. going to grow. But yeah, I did audio and video in the beginning, then just audio for a while. And then now I've brought back the video side, especially with in person, you definitely need the video side. Yeah, for, for sure. And so for me, with the interviews, we always have the video uh, with the solos, though, the first episode back to your original question, I was trying to really multitask. And this is one of my faults, you know, like our strengths that become faults. Like the first time I ever tried to stream live, I streamed to Twitch, YouTube, Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn. Like I just ah, went everywhere. Right. And it was actually Buster. Yeah. And it was actually Buster it was like, dude, just go live to one platform and then go live a different time to another platform and do them for shorter amounts of time and connect to the vibe that's on that platform. Don't overthink it. And I really have appreciated that advice ever since because I'm always trying to do too much, I guess, is so, so to speak, right? So I was setting up the webcam and doing the, the things to make sure that this could be basically be a YouTube video, right? And it's also a podcast. And I found that I was rambling. I was having a little bit of a tough time figuring out how much to script, how much to not script, like bullet points versus full script. And I think both of those, one was too little, one was too much. So there's like this Goldilocks thing for me, for sure. Mm -hmm. And 
and I've figured it out, but I can create consistently and make it quality when it's audio and I'm not distracted by a camera. So for those solos for now, it's been audio. And to answer your question, I've been able to get them to where they're between five and 15 minutes and like doing the hard work of just not saying anything extra. Yeah. And uh, also appreciating, this was a hard part, appreciating that I have so many topics, like in the bullet points right now, there's probably a thousand episodes Yeah, <laughs> in my, in my ideas doc, right? Like, so appreciating that for the interviews, they're going to be long. People can take deep dives into these great conversations with awesome people. But for the solos, if they're doing that 10 minute drive to the grocery store, they can probably get the episode in. And so I've just tried to really force myself that if I feel like those bullet points are going to go beyond the quality over quantity level, then I'll just cut it and shift it down in my script to a new episode. Yeah. So I've, it's been okay. No, that's good. No, I, 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 that's great for me as well to, to hear how you do it. Because I mean, that's typically what I'm suggesting to clients to have your topics, but be able to ramble within the topic. If you're going to do post post-production, like get it all out. Most likely you're not going to be able to guess what you're going to say. So yeah, that balance takes time, but it's definitely possible to find. Mm-hmm. And there's some great, there's some great people to look up to for this. I mean, you know, Andrew Huberman is fantastic. He's, I wouldn't suggest doing two and a half hour solos, but like just the fact that just to see how that guy does it, like it's, incredible and yeah there's some really great examples of that and but i but then on the other side i couldn't see joe rogan doing solo <laughs> ever it's interesting you got to find what works for you yeah. but i also do a third version called the shit show and that's with my friend or myself and my producer and we're doing one tonight typically we take audience questions but something told me this week i'm like i just don't know i feel like we should just go um we do an hour We'll have maybe some topics set up. We'll take some audience questions and videos and stuff. But like, we just do what we want with it and we just experiment. And it gives me that, like, I don't promote it. I just release it. I don't care who watches it. It's literally just for us. But I think having that there too, uh, for me at least personally, has given me another perspective on like, or really the opportunity to just kind of flow. Right. When I'm with a guest, I don't want to talk too much. When I'm solo, I don't want to go too far into any direction. Yeah. So this also third version is, uh, we have some diehard listeners who really love it and most of the audience doesn't consume it and that's cool. But yeah, it's it's you don't want to ever be in a box with content. For sure. And the other part of our, my conversation with JLD was around that idea of, you know, you got interviews, you got solos. As the audience grows, then here are the other formats we can add. And so that AMA and Q, Q&A and then doing a guest or a roundtable conversation with a few topics, like all those things I'm excited to do in the future. Yep. But for now, focusing on the two to mention another couple of references that people could use, too, that really helped me. You, you mentioned Huberman. I mean, that was what I was scared of ending up doing because of how much research and time. And that's my style. Yeah, for sure. Which is why I was originally scared of doing solos was because like I don't I don't have the time, right? I need to pick my priorities. Once realizing the other smaller version, not Huberman. And what helped me with that was Jocko Willinks. In Jocko's, a lot of times it's an interview show, but he'll have like intros or outros that are about that five to 10 minute mark on a topic. And so him doing those that are that mid-level of ranting, but also clearly he has a few bullet points and is is reading a bit. I, I've really appreciated those. The other is James Altisher. And the reason why he helped me a lot was because uh, his episode cards. One of the things that I was worried about was having people get confused in the apps, like in the podcast players, right? So you're in Spotify and you're like, oh, I want to listen to Justin's show. And, and I've seen this happen of standing over 
over someone's shoulder where they're like, how do I listen to your show? And they go to look at it and they get confused between the episode types. So having empathy for that, because that really frustrates me to the point where I'd probably tune out of someone's whole brand. James Altisher has blue or at the time had like bright blue for solo business tips and white for uh, interviews. Yeah. And so those images, like I can just flip through. I mean, you're not supposed to do it while you're driving, but smart. <laughs> That only works on Spotify, though, so you're not getting that on on the 70% of the other, which is probably 70% of your listeners on the other platforms. But yeah, no. I Which is really interesting you say that. And that's why I said episode cards and titles, because I had to learn that titles. titling was probably the part that can be equally valuable. And right. So like mine's like interview 32 with Brendan Kane or, you know, interview 31 with Jess Sully. Like it's like that kind of thing. And then you can clearly tell the solos are solos because it's like, you know, how I played football and I regret it or like whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I do the guest image too for the guests. So like the solo thumbnails and the solo, you know, kind of graphics, like any graphic that's not a guest looks completely different. So I haven't even thought about that, but I technically do that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting you say that it only works for Spotify because I didn't know that because I use Spotify and Amazon primarily. But then when I saw it on the Apple one, it was like they were all blending together again. And and, because I was looking at someone else's app. Apple doesn't innovate, dude. Yeah. Apple doesn't innovate. They innovate everything else except that. That's another conversation. (laughs) Yeah. So we'll see in the future if that ends up changing. But for now, I think at least and then the the timing is such a big difference that it really does. People can understand just by that. How long is the episode? Oh, 11 minutes. Okay, dude, mine are two hours. So it's fun. <laughs> you got to go in if you want to go in, but we yeah. have timestamps. Yeah, for sure. And that that's awesome. Let's stick with podcasting for a second because we've taken a, a deep enough dive into this topic. When it comes to the business part, maybe tell us what your business is. Clearly, it's in the world of podcasting, but what exactly is it for people who don't know? Yeah, so we're a podcast consulting and launch company, but uh, it's really two sides of it. So one side is consulting, which is consulting with current podcasters to break their limiting beliefs and to uh, make sure that they don't stop which is very, very common in podcasting, as you know. So that's really my goal there. And then the other side of the consulting is just helping people launch their show. So we have a process and a system that we built over the past three years to essentially, it works for everybody because it uses fundamentals of podcasting. And so we wanted to create a system that could work for a solopreneur, could work for probably a Fortune 500 company because at the end of the day, there is always a host or a host and a guest. There's always one person doing it for the most part or co-host, but even if you have a Fortune 500 company launching a podcast, there might be 30 people involved, but there's still that one host, right? Or those two hosts. So we developed a podcast launch system called the Podcast Launch Accelerator. That's a five-step system that we created. So that's the consulting side, the helping podcasters grow and evolve and then helping people launch. Mm -hmm. And then the other side is the production side. So that's your audio production, video, graphics. Really the goal there with all of that, everything we do, I I really want to democratize podcasting. I want to make it, it's very fragmented in terms of what I mean by that is there's not a lot of trusted sources like everything's really spread out like are my stats here accurate are my stats there accurate is this site legit is that like nobody knows what's legit what's not so i just want to make it easier for people to launch their podcast and continue it with like using fundamentals and then on the production side i just want affordable production that isn't like using upwork or hiring a bunch of freelancers or anything like that i want to basically take in the the beauty of having an agency and the simplicity for hobbyists Mm -hmm. slash like the top of the hobbyist category and the beginning of like the I'm getting paid for my podcast category. So those are really that's essentially what we do with the business. 
And so when you say podcast fundamentals, I love to create blog posts from each episode and there'll either be one or two sections depending on the guest, but that are very kind of pragmatic, you know, top 10 steps to starting a business or top 10 ways to use live video for marketing. When we look at that podcast fundamentals, this is something that you're a really big expert in. So what are some of those things somebody who's brand new starting a show should think about? Well, first of all, specificity where people get caught up is they don't it's like business, like they don't want to not serve somebody. So then they go broad. I think how you build an audience is to go specific. And then once you have the audience, then you could go broad. Basically, the opposite of what I did. I don't recommend doing what I did. I went broad first. It, it ends up being a little more difficult that way. But yeah, I mean, in terms of like fundamentals, like if you're going to start a show, first of all, it's why, right? Like, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. Because you don't know the work that it's going to be. I mean, you could literally outsource everything except the recording. And you're still going to be like, wow, I didn't realize it was like this much work that I had to do to keep this thing going. So that's why you got to have a strong why, strong foundation. If you don't have that strong foundation, you're going to stop. You're going to quit. Every single person, almost not every single person, most people that talk to me who give me like, I'm pretty good at breaking down objections. But if people say like, I don't know, or like, I'll let you know, or they don't, those are not the people that do this. It's the people who just make a decision right then and there. They know it's best for them. And then they go ahead and do it. You know, it's really a mindset thing with podcasting. If you've done something for a long time before and you just did it day in and out, day out, out, year in and year out, decade in, decade out, you're going to be really good for podcasting. So those are the things that I like to recommend to people of like, I always preface podcasting with the work before I get into the benefits, because you don't get any of the benefits without that work anyway. So that's what I always what I tell people before going in, like, it's not going to destroy your life. It's just going to be a part of your life. And it's going to be a part of your schedule. And it's a commitment to see results. So if you can't commit for a year, I don't know about this, you know what I'm saying? Like, are you can't commit to a season or you're a little bit up in the air of how you're going to do it, how you're not going to do it. Don't expect pro results with amateur execution, right? So that's what I always say. But yeah, man, when people are going in, hey, I'm, I want to start a podcast. Cool. Let's talk about it. Why? That's where we start. Mm -hmm. And any tips or tricks to not pod fade, as I heard Ariel Nissen Black call it, or, you know, let's just say it to not give up. What are the things that you advise people in that area? Outsource the things that you don't like doing. If you're making 8K a month from your job, take 400 bucks from that and outsource the audio editing for every month, right? Or whatever, like whatever the thing is that you hate to do, that's probably giving you resistance from actually wanting to even do the podcast. I would consider outsourcing that. Even if it's the lowest level freelancer you can find on Upwork, you can train them, you know, you can, whatever it ends up being, like it's not the approach I recommend, but it works. And I'm down with whatever works. Yeah, that's what I would say, man. Like definitely where people people go wrong, I think is a couple reasons. But one of them is beliefs, right? Like they don't believe that if they continue to do it, it's not it's going to work. They just think it's not working. And then I ask why? How do you know it's not working? They're like, I don't have that many downloads. I'm like, how many do you have? They're like, I have 100 per episode. Okay, so what was your goal? Well, I didn't have one. Okay, so did you know that 100 downloads an episode is like top 3% of all podcasts? Oh, well, no, I didn't know that. Well, I'm like, yeah, well, because most podcasts fail because they get 100 episodes and think they're failing. Right. So it's the mindset thing. Like, if you're at 100, like if you have one client, do you just go, well, I only have one? No, you go try to get another one. So that's how I take it with podcasting. If you didn't define your goals in the beginning, that's what makes it really difficult because I have people come to me who could have monetized, who quit their podcast six months ago. They could have had making thousands a month from it right now. They just, nobody told them that.
And I think those are two of the big things that you just touched on in one response, the, the double M's, as I call it, and the idea of marketing and monetization. I, I mean, you can take both those prompts and kind of spit on those topics right now if you want, or I can kind of break them down a little bit. But I think the main thing is like, how do I get more listeners is such a debated topic, even in the mm-hmm. world of podcasting, let's call it experts. If you hopped on a round table with nine other people who are podcast leaders, oh yeah, uh, I'm sure we could debate what would be some good next steps. So maybe what do you think about in the area of marketing. And then when it comes to monetization, you mentioned earlier that we give away our secrets because people aren't going to use them anyways. Yeah. Well, let's assume that maybe some person will listen to this and use some of the secrets. So secrets to marketing and monetization. Well, I'll preface this whole thing with saying like, I don't love when people are like, yeah, man, I know a guy and he made six figures from his podcast because he had somebody on the podcast that bought six figures worth of stuff from him. And now the podcast, I don't use examples like that. I would rather just use me. Okay. So let's use me. What am I doing? I'm doing about one to three vertical video clips a week on my podcast. Okay. I have 500 audio downloads a month. I have 500 YouTube views a month. That's a thousand listeners and watchers a month. I'm very cut and dry about my stats, about how my podcast works. If I wanted to increase my plays and downloads, right? Wouldn't you think that if my one to three clips is working, that I would just go ahead and post three to nine clips a week, right? I would increase what's already working. People will come to me and say, once again, my podcast has 100 downloads, man. Okay, how many posts a week do you make about it? Well, none. Okay, we can start. Everybody wants the quick fix, the press button, make things happen. It's not the deal, dude. Like if you found something that's working, that's rare, right? Because most things don't even work. So if you found that posting on LinkedIn about your podcast once a week is getting you an average average amount of 30 to 40 downloads, then posting twice a week about it might double that number. I'm looking at like what we were talking about before fundamentals. How do you take this is business, right? Like, like I said, people in business, if you have marketing, like they're not going to stop running ads. If the ads don't work, they improve the ads. If you put out that one post a week and it doesn't work, that means the post isn't good. Make a better post. And then if you can't make a better post, hire somebody else to help you. Everybody wants this like big thing that's going to work, whether it's marketing monetization. I believe everything that works. Truly. I don't do SEO. Somebody else does. There's many case studies of SEO working. I'm not that guy. I'm the content guy. So I stay in my lane, man. Everything that's worked for somebody else can work for you, but it might not. I know how to talk about organic content. I know how to make that work. I know how to get 400, 500, 1,000 views on your first episode on YouTube. Like I could tell you how to do that. And it literally is way more simple than anybody wants it to be. It's like stupid how simple it is. But I don't talk about tactics I don't, I haven't done personally, but that's how I'll kind of start that off with the marketing monetization. Like it's really about what works and then just doubling or tripling that. And then once we're at a higher level, we'll go from there. Mm -hmm. And so the monetization specifically, you mentioned that someone quit when they didn't realize that they could have monetized already, plus the kind of braggadocious. So I made 100K of this off that in, in, I guess, pragmatic terms for people who are like, oh, when should I monetize or how long does it take? And of course, that's contextual to industry. However, you meet someone who's already stressed about the idea of the second M in monetization. What insights or wisdom do you have for them? I'd say don't worry about that. I'd say just like if nobody's listening to it, you already have one. You already have a big issue. Like you already have a big challenge. Get over that. Who monetizes without an audit? Like you can't, like you don't sell a product without marketing because nobody will know about it. Fill the top of your funnel. That's where I'm at, dude. Like, don't worry. If you want to design a show to make money, I bet you can. I can probably help you do that. But if you don't have a way to get at least your current listeners slash audience or new audience in the door, how are you supposed, how is a sponsor going to care about your 12 downloads? Like once you have, like have leverage, you're trying to build leverage, right? So once you have 500 downloads a month plus 
now you can say, hey, this company's going to give me this. I love to work with you guys. Here's the offer, right? Like instead of going, can you be my sponsor? Like I have about 12, but I'll definitely, it'll definitely be growing. Like <laughs> that's not how business works, man. So that's why I relate it back to music. There's music and there's business. And then there's the music business. The last word is what you want. <laughs> that's what you got to look at, right? There's podcasting, there's business, and there's the podcasting business. Once we put those things together, now we're in the business world. Now content's not the thing. Now we're looking at numbers, right? And metrics and things like that. It all blends together, the idea of uh, marketing and monetization. And you just hit the nail on the head with the idea of equating it to music business. I feel I was just having this conversation with somebody in the jail that I work in yesterday because we often get talented, I'll say that, in a couple cases successful too, but definitely talented youth who are strong at hip hop. They're only going to serve a few years because they were youth when they committed their crimes and they have a lot of potential for when they get out to actually succeed as an entrepreneur and with their music. But so often they lack that business piece. So this is a really good segue because I don't want to let go of the hip hop and music thing too much. I mean, there's so many topics if we did like a master class on how to succeed as a hip hop artist, which I just saw, it said pop artist, but that monthly was advertising Charlie Puth, how to be a pop artist, you know, how to succeed as a pop artist. That's like the online course or whatever, right? Oh yeah. Those are fun. Yeah. So certainly there's a curriculum and it's kind of can be broken down. So uh, this is something that would be great to touch on. Maybe we could do the, the overarching, anything that comes to mind as I bring that up and then go into some specific topics. In terms of the music side of things, like I'll just say like before I could always go into what I do and kind of my like bio in terms of music, but it's really collaboration. Like Gary Vee told me to my face, like I literally met him in person. He told that to me if to my face about how we can grow in music. It's talent. If you don't have talent, I don't know what to tell you. Keep working harder. I don't know. You're not going to get recognized even if you do have talent. So you're not going to get recognized just by being recognized. Like you're, you're, you or somebody's going to have to do something to make that happen. The same reason people stop podcasting is the same reason they stop making music and the same reason they end their business. And it's all really the same. It's lack of belief and lack of not hitting some goal. But I've found for me, what's keeping my juices flowing is being part of a community. I'm part of a community of musicians and rappers, specifically rappers and singers called Mad Minds that we do here in New Jersey um, that my friend Orhun runs. And, you know, we have at our biggest shows, 300 to 500 people all supporting independent artists. Dude, if I didn't have that, I probably wouldn't continue to release music, to be honest with you. So in the last like nine months to two years, that's been a massive, massive thing for me. I don't think you have to do that in like a mastermind set or whatever. But if you can just get a few other artists who are also trying to make it with you and then get a couple one to two mentors who are above you, that's the power play that will make sure that you don't stop that thing, right? Like that's what I do for podcasters is I'm like a person they can just talk to and I go, hey, why didn't you upload that and stuff, right? You should do the same thing for music. But yeah, willing to talk about what I do and you know, my background in music. But I, I always, I just think that's a powerful lesson that I, I've recently learned. And that lesson runs through much of this episode because you referenced your friend doing YouTube with you, being in the gym, the person who introduced you to hip hop, all these things, you know, that's obviously a, a common theme for you is the idea of friendship and collaboration and community. Oh, yeah. We know that that's how you got into hip hop uh, for sure. Where does it exist now? Let's go into that. Like you said, kind of the bio for it and what you have done in that world first before we talk a little bit about the technical production side. 
where it started for me was that diss track back in high school. And from there, I made an EP and then I made an album. Um, the album did pretty good for like my fan base. We had a couple songs that got picked up on some. There's not like really blogs anymore, but they're kind of like Instagram pages for music. So I had a little like pop with that a little bit, which was fun. That was like in 2018, 2019. And then, man, I just kind of like let my life, everything else I let take over. COVID hit. I wasn't doing the in-person shows. I set a goal to perform and I think it was 2019 and I ended up hitting that goal and I performed X amount of times. I think it was like three or four times or something like that. You know, the first goal I set was to perform once. Then I did that. Then I'm like, I'm going to perform three times and you just move from there. Then COVID lost all my motivation for that, shifted all my focus to my business. And then I kind of woke up one day and realized, wow, I haven't done anything with music. And I also realized that business was becoming my outlet too. Like the people I was working with, my girlfriend, I was also my outlet more like I always use music because I felt like I didn't have anybody. And now I have people. So I'm like, oh, wait, like I'm not like super lonely anymore. So <laughs> I'm not going to make this same music. And then I had to think about where, what place I want it to be in my life. And now I am 100% okay with it just being a thing that I love to do and love to make. My aspirations were world tour and, you know, the whole nine, all the musical aspirations. And like, if it happens, great. If it doesn't, I'm not really working towards that. Like, I really just want to enjoy it and love it and kind of treat it like I would these other hobbies that I have. You know, if the music pops off tomorrow and I have the ability to open for people and continue to and travel and tour and everything, I'm not saying I won't drop everything to do that. But I really have to make that decision of like, where do you want this thing to be, man? Like, what do you want? How much energy and focus are you really going to put into this? Like, don't set these goals. Once again, for myself, like a lot of what I say is for me, uh, and selfishly, like don't have pro level aspirations with amateur execution. That's what was happening. Like I was working on songs twice a month and then twice a year. Right. You know? And so now I'd really just have to make that decision of where I want this to be in my life. You know, I want to perform and I want to make it when I want to make it. When I decide to take it to another level, I'll make that decision, you know? Even J. Cole talks about that in his like mini documentary, The Off Season, about originally when he first wanted to succeed in hip hop and his boys were like, yo, what are you doing? Like, you haven't done anything in the last yep. two years. And then him succeeding, obviously. But then even that happening again after reaching fame and money and fortune, starting a family, but then being like, yo, wait, what am I doing? And it happened again, a midlife crisis being like, OK, I need to recommit to just being in the studio six hours every day or whatever your own plan is. Uh, so I think that's a pretty special example. So is yours. When you think about that workflow, though, this is the part where I, I love breaking it down like we did with podcasting secrets. But a lot of times it's tough to become the teacher when we're so skilled and qualified in an area. And in this case, being a hip hop artist and creating hip hop music, let's just call it that. What's the, the workflow like for you to create a track if you want to put something out next month? Yeah, if I want to put something else next month, I have one producer that's really my go-to. I started producing myself. I would recommend to everybody, not that you have to rely on yourself for your beats and your music, but 100% learn it. Because when you're in the studio and they're making decisions and you don't know what the hell they're talking about, you don't have a say. So you got to be educated to have a say. So learn beats, learn production. If you can, learn tracking, recording, mixing, mastering, releasing, promotion, distribution. I would management, learn the whole thing, read the books, right? Do the, there's many influencers. Wendy Day is one of them, James Landry. There's so many on Instagram um, and all these other platforms that literally just teach you game. Jen's the guru. It goes on and on. There's many of these guys and gals, but I would say learn it all. Learn as much as you can. Just learn how beats get made. Learn how tracks get mixed. Learn how they get mastered. Do a few of them yourself. You don't have to do it for yourself, but do it so you know it. From there, you're going to want a team, right? And this will come up 
you know, this will lead to where I'm at now. But I met this producer probably in 2018, 2019 on Instagram off a of DM. And we've been working together ever since. We've done many songs together. Um, we're doing an album together. It's just super slow on my end. But now I have that. He makes beats that I would have made way better than I would have ever made them. I, I got lucky on that. Right. I'm not saying that was me. Can you shout him out? Yeah, Jello Music. Jello Music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's great. Jello's fantastic. Okay. He's got a full time job. He's got, you know, he's he has a great job. Um, and he makes music on the side and he's hustling. In incredibly talented he was a concert pianist transition to music production i mean literally fairy tale fucking story with this guy and so i found him and i said this is it man i love this guy i love his beats they fit me so perfectly so i have him i got a couple other people i work with as well so if i want to go to a studio i have a studio that i can go to and we'll make music from scratch we did a song together not this single but the one i'm releasing in december will be with them that's that's more face studios in red bank new jersey they're great i'll work with them too so now i have people now i have access right i do all my own management all my own promotion all my own booking right all that stuff that's the next level for me because i'm treating it like business right i used to sit and figure out how do i do email marketing and sit there on youtube now I pay a guy 250 bucks for an hour and he just tells me what to do. That's what I want for music now, right? And that's where I'm at in my career. And as when you're coming up as an artist, if you're not moving the needle and somebody else isn't moving it for you, then nothing's happening. Like nothing will ever happen. Nothing will just happen to you. It's all a matter of what's ha what somebody's doing for you or what you're doing for your own brand. So that's the level I'm at. I got a producer. I literally have shows that I can go to and perform at to get practice. And then the next level for me seems to be management. So that's what I'm focused on right now, uh, personally. Managing yourself, but being able to get management in the future, you mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't want to manage myself. What I'm saying is I want to delegate the same thing as same thing I would do for my podcast, which is outsource my audio, outsource my show notes. I want to treat music the same way. Mm -hmm. I know I'm not going to manage myself. I do it now and I suck and I don't want to do it. So if I don't have to, I already found a producer that believes in me that is willing to work with me. And because he knows like what the future can be. Yeah, I'm now in search. I'm not like interviewing people, but somebody's going to end up managing me and it's just going to come. It's just going to happen. Maybe, you know, I got you. It's funny you say that because we're not talking business right now. And I, I'm, I'm, I can already say I'm not going to end up doing it. But <laughs> a lot of times because I have youth come through the prison who are really could be successful and they really need management, but they can't afford it. I've often been like, shit, I should just manage this kid and help them just as a mentor or nothing else, you know, get connections and figure out that sort of like start creating and that stuff. You know, basically what ended up happening with some other like big time artists who have succeeded, you know, where they're like, that was kind of that turning point, you know, that was the big thing that changed it all. Once they had someone that was out there promoting them because they weren't up for self-promotion, that happens all the time for the, the youth that I'm referring to. The other thing that happens is they just don't create and publish enough. And that's one of the things that can be, you know, kind of frustrating because again, to your point, if it's, if it's an outlet and you don't have the goals of needing to go viral soon or get attention, then sure, whatever, that's fine. But when they're getting frustrated that they're not getting the attention, and like you said, with podcasting, they're posting once every two months or less. It's like, okay, well, you know, we're going to have to up the volume game a little bit. But I want to pump the brakes for a sec and go back to beats because you you referenced the idea of, you know, learn it a bit yourself at first. Uh, so when you were starting, were you just downloading off of YouTube, getting them off of anywhere you could? Or like, what was getting the the beats part at first for you? 
Yeah, first there was no recording. So we didn't since we didn't do any recording, we just rip we would just play beats, any beats, Mac Miller, J. Cole, YouTube, whatever. Then I had a mentor named Beach Links and he works for Diddy now. He I mean, you want to talk multi-talented, multi-passionate, it's this guy. He's been on tour with G Easy, he works for Diddy, he's a graphic designer, he's a clothing designer, he's a music producer, he's a singer, he like does it all type of guy. He was one of our mentors. DM'd him on Instagram. He was like, Yeah, come by my studio. And we paid for his time and he gave us advice. And he said, Everybody thinks their bars are dope. So for anybody listening, run that one back, right? They're not as dope as you think they are. So that was a big piece. And then really he, I just asked him, I said, what do you use? Like, what do you do? He goes, Mac, get a Mac, get Logic Pro. So I got a Mac and I got Logic Pro. And I just didn't take anybody else's advice. And I just took one person's advice and I got a Mac and I got Logic Pro and I learned it. I figured out how to make beats. Now I had a music background. So I kind of hit the ground running. Not that I was making fire at the first first few beats, <laughs> but I came back to him in a year with a fully formed album of 12 songs, you know? So that was written, produced, and made by me. So, you know, I just put that work in night in and night out of learning, of going on YouTube. How do I use the sampler? How do I use the synth? You know, how do I EQ this to make it sound different and gain stage it and all that stuff. So we weren't recording, but once I started recording after working with Beach, I knew that I needed beats because his beats were 500 bucks a beat, thousand bucks a beat. Mm -hmm. So that forced me to have to learn it. And then, yeah, now I could afford beats or like now, like I said, I just work with my producer. Now I just make beats like I just want to need a beat, want to make a beat. I'll just make one, you know, have fun with it. But yeah, I would suggest getting in there. It doesn't matter. Fruity Loops, Ableton Pro Tools, uh, Logic. It literally doesn't matter what you use. Don't let anybody tell you that it matters because it doesn't. It just depends on your personality. Logic works for me. Apple works for me. So that's what I use. But yeah, man, um, that's how it started for me. Just the necessity of not being able to afford the beats that I wanted. I could afford a YouTube beat, but I couldn't stand the fact that somebody else was going to use that beat. So I did it myself. That was super serendipitous timing, this interview, because when uh, just this week, uh, the youth I work with, we downloaded the Pro Tools sample and the Logic Pro trial. And like we're like, OK, well, we can try both of them for 30 days and then we'll just pick one. And Logic Pro is definitely already like we're already like I look at, you know, <laughs> the student, I'm like, yeah, this is what we're going with because it just looks simpler. Right. And clearly it's good enough. Uh, I heard that uh, I'm in love with a stripper was made on GarageBand. So if GarageBand is good enough to make that, you know, track that's been viewed 60 million times or whatever on YouTube, then I think Logic Pro will be good enough for us to create music on in the jail. Yeah, Logic, Logic's the more simple program. I think just easier to learn. Mm -hmm. Pro Tools is more probably long term. Like if you see yourself working in studios, they don't, you go to a studio, here's my Mac with Logic. They don't do that. They they go Pro Tools or maybe you can use Ableton, but basically Pro Tools. So if you're going to do bedroom shit, Logic's great. Listen, I mean, go watch the YouTube video with Billie Eilish and her brother making that song that they, I forget what it's even called. It doesn't matter. That whole album. That whole album. Look, just watch the video of when they do the duh like 150 times. Like he's just <laughs> using logic, man. Like I've been in these studios. Like I've seen people use every single thing that you could think of. And as long as you get to the final product, man, like yeah. it doesn't matter. Just get started, you know? But yeah, that's really great that you guys are doing that. You'll love logic. There's so much to it. You can do everything with it. It's fun. It's color coded. Yeah, it just does seem more fun. You know, we got to kind of get to the point where we wrap someday and sometime we'll run it back. But I do do want to just say like in terms of a, a a bullet point or something that you feel gets people caught up when it comes to specifically the beat making the music part building the tracks so that they can then put the lyrics to them what are some like what's something that you think would hold someone up from getting going with beats 
just finish the beat. Like, just say it's done. If you need help, like if you can't finish a beat, have somebody else listen to it and just say, is this done or not? Most of what you're doing is not adding. Music is a lot of subtraction, right? It's what you, because you can add anything that you want. That's easy. But can you have just the right amount of pieces in the perfect places to make it a coherent song? Where people get caught up, where I get caught up is I just don't finish it. So set your deadline, bounce that out and lock it down and be like, this is done, it's over. And then set your freaking release date because if you don't set that, it's going to be like where I'm at, which is I'm releasing my video three and a half years later. <laughs> so yeah, that's my advice for that. And that's where I'm going to be to send you texts every so often to push you for sure, because I think that's it can be so hard, but it's like, just do it because then you'll get to the next one anyways, you know? I appreciate yeah. that. I need, I'll take it. I'll take all I can get. <laughs> 100%, I'll do that. You know, the next thing naturally is writing. And you mentioned bringing your whole album back to the producer that was your mentor that you looked up to and you had the 12 tracks done. So I'm assuming you wrote and recorded those as well. When it comes to writing and then recording, what are what's your process for that? Yeah, so writing is uh, typically starts with an idea and really like a line, but I experiment. So for example, I'll do one where I set a goal for the song, set that at the top of my page in my notebook. I have a big notebook over here, not something small like this, like a, uh, a writing pad, like a drawing pad. And I'll set the goal of the song. For example, one of them is I met my fr friend Asher Roth, who is like a pretty prominent rapper from like 10 years ago. He was really popping, still makes great stuff. That was a really cool moment for me because he's like, I always look up to him music. For example, for that song, I write the goal. I met Asher Roth. Okay, now that's the goal. Then I'll go ahead and write the story, not try to rhyme it, just write what happened. So now I have about three pages of written story. Then I'll flip to the next page and start creating a song out of that story in sections. So now I'll take the story and go, what are the logical sections of this story, right? Because you want, you, a, a song is a story, whether it is or not, right? It has to, it goes up, it, it's going to, first, it's going to lead you to something. It's going to make you want to get to the end of it because you want to know what's going to happen. It's going to have like kind of a climax in the middle and then it's going to come back down. And, you know, we could go nitty gritty on song structure, but I look at it like, okay, now how can I arrange this story? Do I tell the end of the beginning? Do I, what's the format I want? Then I'll throw it in the format and jot that down. And then I'll start actually writing the actual lyrics of the song. So that's one example of a way you can do it with a process or a system. I learned that in songwriting class. I took a songwriting class. I learned songwriting. Before this, I would literally just write the song. There's no questions asked. Sometimes I still do. And another thing I'd say the most popular things that or what I do the most is taking one idea and then just rapping it, like just getting on the mic with the beat and just going. Most songs don't come without the beat, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Or another cheat code is to take your favorite song of today, get the instrumental version of it and write a verse out and use that verse to then write an actual song. But those are just a few ways that I do it. And there's no one way that I do it. It's kind of whatever I'm feeling for that track. That's huge. Some positive feedback for you in terms of being an interviewee. I really appreciate how those were like three literally tangible things that anyone wanting to start hip hop today could get started. And it took you like 90 seconds to rattle them off. So I'm really grateful <laughs> for, for segments like that because it, it really does help. Anytime. Right. Like they can pragmatically go start doing that now. Would you say then that you are uh, more of a verse person than a hook person? Because I do notice you didn't bring up anything about a hook. Oh, all verses all day, dude. Yeah. But now I take the advice of 
it's kind of similar to managing by by wandering around. I kind of take that concept and apply it to music. It's like singing by wandering around. Like I mm. just sing. I have a great hallway out here and it has great reverb and I'll just sing there. So whenever I walk, I just sing a song that I'm listening to that day whenever I'm just like walking around my house. So that's really what I do for hooks because the verses come so much easier to me. Mm-hmm. And then if once you do enough hooks, you will actually start just making hooks and you'll actually just start, your brain will start thinking of hooks. So yeah, man, always verses. It was always verses. It was always my bars are sick. <laughs> <laughs> but guess what, guys? Like, look at it's not Post Malone's versus that or, or why his he's Post Malone. Yeah, for sure. And I think that for me, I've learned, I was about to say so little, which would be the complete wrong thing to say. I've learned so much about hip hop, about writing music, about poetry, about song structure, about all these things. But I know little in the sense that I have no musical background. I have done nothing outside of my day job in terms of pursuing this. But one thing that I've noticed is like, oh, you start to pick up on these songs are commercially successful. Russ is another example, I think, that you see that, right? It's like- I could go on a tangent about Russ. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and. And then you see like, ah, oh, and then you start to, we, we've we've seen so many documentaries of different hip hop artists doing their thing. First of all, everyone's process is different, you know, but you see someone like Jay-Z who like literally just hums and then from humming comes a hook and then from humming off of that hook comes a verse. And then you see someone like Eminem where it's like, he's got like the folder uh, or the box of every little story he's written very similar to your process, right? And it's it's just an interesting thing to see. Everyone's different. Yeah, that's that I heard on a podcast recently about both of them. So it is the truth that Jay-Z doesn't write. And this is coming. This was from a podcast I was listening to about somebody who was Oh, Rick Rubin. Yeah. How could I forget? So this is both from Rick Rubin. Uh, This is, I believe he was talking to Joe, but he was like, yeah, Jay-Z will literally just spit it. Like he'll just say it. It's in his head. He has it all written in his head. And then Eminem, he saw M writing something. He was like, what are you doing? He was like, I'm just writing. He was like a song. He's like, no. He said, I just need to write. And M just writes all day. Whatever's happening, he's just writing. Anything that could excite him at all to keep that habit of writing. Mm -hmm. So look at that dichotomy of the most successful rappers of all time. Completely different approach, right? So Yeah, you're going to have to find what works for you for sure. But those are two great examples. Yeah, 100%. And we could go on all day about that. Like I said, we will definitely be bringing this episode back in the future. You mentioned really uh, subtly that you got advice from Gary Vee. I'd love to know because I'm sure that leaks into all of the things you do in the world of business, music, all these goals you have, I'm sure. Because if you're a Gary Vee fan, I know that I am, then it kind of helps you in many aspects of life. But uh, if you wanted to share quickly how you met him and then if you have any thoughts on what that meant to you, I think that would be good to turn some people onto his work. I'd say definitely go watch a lot of the old Gary Vee material. I just think it doesn't have the kind of this new age of content. A lot of the stuff now is very relevant, but I just think there's more value in his old stuff. There's more fundamentals. But yeah, so a friend of mine was on his wine texting list. He has this thing called Wine Text to get deals on wine. He was like, hey, I'm going to be here at my dad's liquor store in New Jersey at Wine Library. And my friend's like, you want to go? I know how much you love Gary Vee. I'm like, yeah, let's go. So we went 2019, pull up, take a picture with him. His right hand man, D-Rock's right there. D-Rock's like, sorry, man, can't ask him a question. You got to go to the back of the line. All right. So I go to the back of the line again. I get to the front of the line again. I'm like, Gary, I'm asking you a question. Anyway, I asked him a question. I said, hey, we got this collective of artists, right? We're all trying to come up together, grow together. What do we do? And he was like, well, it's like the Avengers, man. You have Iron Man, then you have the Avengers or whatever. I don't even know if that's an Avenger. But the point was, (laughs) (laughs) you have these people that come together as a group for a movie, and then they have spinoffs in their individual movies, right? So kind of the same concept. So that was the question I asked. That was the answer he gave. I'm sitting in my business management class about three months later. 
later and I get about 100 notifications on my phone. And his team posted that video of me asking him the question. It's got like 900,000 views. It's gone and long gone and forgotten now in the archives of his Instagram account. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, over probably a million people saw me ask him that question, which was really interesting. I ripped that comment section up, man. I replied <laughs> to every comment, you know, mad people, dude. You knew the answer to that question, bro. Yeah, I did. That's why I asked him the question. So his team would post it because it was such a layup for him. So that was me using Gary V's techniques on Gary V and getting his team to post it. But yeah, man, in terms of that, like, I just, uh, I feel like, I feel like Kanye fans. I'm like, I want the old Kanye. Like, I want the old Gary V, man. Like, I just took so much value. Now I just use his posts to get top comments so people can find me. So I, I, I mean, I love his content still. I'm just not a mad, crazy consumer of it. Daily V was massive for me, and he just doesn't really bring that same kind of energy anymore, I don't think. But yeah, man, he's great. I can agree with that, empathize for sure. I feel like part of that is similar to what you said earlier in the episode and when we talked about Bucks, that it changes because we change and so our need for those things changes. And that's yep. probably a lot of it too. And we'll never really know because we can't have the same experience as we did, you know. He should change though. I'm not mad at him. I just think he's serving where I, the people where I was at. Like I'm way ahead of all the stuff he talks about now because I'm literally doing it. Mm -hmm. So now I need the mentor of whoever, Alex Hermosi, which has been like the replacement person for exactly. me. Another great solo podcaster as well. Six years he was podcasting before he got to top 50. Yeah, that kind of longevity and stick with itness, I think, is really valuable and interesting. Uh, I'm I just finished editing and gonna upload my episode with uh, Brendan Kane, who's obviously a big marketing dude. Wrote one million followers, helped Taylor Swift early on, and one of the answers that he gave was uh, for people to check out uh, Lil Nas X's pursuit of getting that first song to blow up, yeah. right? And that idea that it'd be like how how many millions of people gave up instead of doing what he did, who were at the same level he was, and that's just those types of things are super inspiring. Again, I feel like we could go on all day. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but certainly before I ask kind of the rapid fire theme questions, I would like to make sure that on these topics, I give you the opportunity to, if there's anything that you feel we didn't touch on or that you would have liked to drop, give you an opportunity to mention if there's anything you think we left out. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think I kind of, I definitely got caught up in some stories, so I don't know how much actionable. I know I got a few in there, but yeah, I mean, overall, like I would say this is your own journey. People are not going to understand it, right? So if you are an artist, act like an artist, be an artist then. Don't try to not be an artist. Oh, I'm an artist uh, sometimes, like be an artist, right? Don't conform because you're not going to get anywhere. So I think it's hard because you do have to conform, right? I'm in this situation right now, but I'm an artist. So like Kevin Gates, while he's in prison, just writing bangers. Freddie Gibbs, while he's accused of a crime he never even committed, writing songs. Like, very cliche for me to say this. I'm not in these positions, right? But what I'm saying truly, though, is figure out who you are as an artist and don't let anybody else who doesn't understand it. Like, these people are not going to remember you when you're dead. They're not going to, they don't care about you now either. The people who care, lean into them. Like, those are the, one, those are the ones, those are your core group. But like, if you're going to do it, then do it. If you're going to be an artist, be an artist, right? And so that's just, you know, off the top of my head. Like, I said, everything I say is advice for me too. I do not give advice that I don't want to take. So that's an advice for me to be like, I am still Sully Bop. I am still an artist. I got on stage last weekend and performed, right? While I was on that stage, I was an artist right there and everybody saw me as an artist and they all respected me as an artist, you know? So that's a little, little tidbit there to drop. 
Yeah, I feel like you're going to make me cry almost with that little piece because, and it was one of the only times that I'm like not looking at the camera and just kind of deep in reflection, maybe even missed the second half of what you said, because having lost my brothers recently, uh, and we were three brothers growing up with goals and teamwork, it's been very existential for me to go through that and be torn with this idea of, am I an artist or am I trying to build a business? And that's been really hard because when we spend time online or receiving other people's email marketing messages or collaborating with business leaders, it can be so difficult to not feel like we're doing things wrong if we aren't focused on the metrics that matter for business right now. And I know you mentioned that exact kind of thing with monetization earlier too. Another video I saw recently was Casey Neistat uploading about Kanye and his whole situation right now. And I don't know if you saw that, but for me, it was like, it's so funny because you said you want the old Kanye, a la the old Gary V. And I've been thinking a lot recently, I want the old Casey. And Casey Neistat basically posted like a video like he used to, you know, in his office in New York City, just talking to the camera face on about a pretty impactful topic. It's the first time I've listened to a Casey, watched a Casey Neistat video in like years. He was saying that Kanye is an artist and there are so few artists on YouTube and so few artists in the world of podcasting and so few artists in the world of music because there are mostly people who just do things because they think it'll lead to a goal as opposed to being an artist. And so that's a long winded way of me saying that uh, I really appreciate you bringing that up randomly because it's something that I've had to keep reminding myself. And I think I'm finally there where I'm like, nah, I can upload a YouTube video because it's a piece of art. I can put out a solo podcast episode because a piece of art, not because I'm worried if it'll lead to a sponsorship deal or something, you know? Yeah, you could sell. I mean, it's all self-titled. I mean, artists, you consider yourself an artist or you don't. That means you are or you're not. There's not a late, there's not a course you got to take or a, you know, a degree you have to have. You're kind of one if you decide you're one. Now, does that saturate the market? 100%. Just on Kanye for 10 seconds, Kanye, we wouldn't have an issue if Kanye would have just made music about all this stuff right? He's an artist. <laughs> he's not translating into the world. It's not happening because he's not through, he's not translating through his medium, which is art, I think, mm -hmm. personally. Now he's got his opinions, right? But put it in a song, Kanye. Yeah, that's a good point because it is in lots of other people's songs. So that's interesting, but it's a little more buried. Okay. One last thought. <laughs> While we're on the topic of semi-controversial things that connect to the media, it's really bothered me when it comes to the takeoff death, mm -hmm. how the media just runs with stories like that and are like, oh, yay, CNN, TMZ, we can celebrate takeoff. And it's like, well, where were you to publish an article about the music that he made or anything awesome that he did charitably or anything like that? Nope, no articles for that. But he gets shot. Oh, that's cool. So we'll make some money off of that. And that is just a crazy world. Again, we could talk for hours about that topic, but it's hard to watch. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, this is a thing, man. Like hip hop is just convenient. Hip hop is just whenever people want to use it, they'll use it. Like, right? Like that's how it is, man. It's not to tell me that it's like widely respected. It's like, it's definitely not, you know, like it is by people who are true fans, but with something like that, that, but that's what the media does. Why are you expecting a dog? A dog's going to bark right? Like the media is going to go and make a thing out of it so they can continue their views. The media is going to find a new COVID or whatever, right? So they can keep you watching the new, like their mm -hmm. job is to keep you glued, right? So the media isn't to respect artists and hip hop. That's not what the media has ever done. So yeah, I just expect them to do what they've always done. You know? Yeah, mm -hmm. man, hundred percent. It saddens me too. I'm not a huge Migos fan. I'm a huge artists fan, right? Like I'm a huge hip hop fan. So like there's a lot, I mean, first of all, for that, you know, over a dice game or something, a lot of times it is something pretty menial, but other times, 
sometimes it's drugs. And that's something that I've spoken about. And my guests I've spoken about many times about drugs in the music industry. Um, and that's another one that gets me probably even the same amount worked up. But yeah, the media is going to do what they do, right? And like, they will be good to you, you know, if they're good to you, and they will be they will be your worst nightmare if they're your worst nightmare. And that's just what they do. 100%. So when it comes to the rapid fire questions, you might have already stolen your answer for this one. Because the first one that I always ask is if you were to leave that one tip for the next generation, what would it be? Yeah, I would think, you know, similar to what I said, I would say don't get worried about your titles. But if the title helps you do the thing and deliver, like essentially as an artist, right? You're just the bridge. The art comes out of you, then there's the art, then there's the end user, the person consuming it. That's kind of the simplistic view of it. So whatever gets you to continue to push that ball down the field, to continue pushing stuff to that end user who is gonna be the person and the people who allow your art to go to the next person and the next person, then whatever it is. So if that means telling yourself you're an artist, do that. If it means telling yourself you're a business owner, do that. Whatever it is that pushes the ball down the field, that's what I would say. Beautiful. Uh, one thing that you are learning right now or that you want to learn? Yeah, it's definitely just getting back into this fitness, man. I'm 151 pounds right now. My goal is 160. So that is what I'm doing right now. I have, I'm about to go eat after right after this. And then I'm going to work out and I'm going to eat again at six and then probably again at seven or eight. And, you know, I'm just trying to gain weight right now, man. So I'm just I'm learning how to do. Just dead left and sleep. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. A couple curls, man. Come on. No, that left and sleep. <laughs> we can go. I'll come on your show. Talk fitness someday. That's my that was my whole world for about 15 years. So. All right. Hell yeah. <laughs> come to Jersey. Come to Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. That would be good. Question three is uh, if you were to ask me a question that you think my creating a piece of content around it would help my audience learn something. What is a question that you would have for me? Why did you transition out of fitness and what did that look like? <laughs> Uh, if it's too long, do the short answer, but no, oh, yeah, I got you. It's, it can be, well, yeah, exactly. That's why I laughed. Right. But there is definitely a shorter answer for one that leads into the longer answer is the idea of like growing up. Like we talked about earlier, things are passed on to us. And one of them for me was the safe job looking back now. And you mentioned Alex Hermosi. That's what I would have, could have, should have done. I was a leader in fitness arguably in the country, let alone the city I was in. And it's like what I studied for four years at the university level, not that you need university for this, mm -hmm. but I studied business of fitness. How to open a gym was like the main thing that I really focused on in university, as well as all the physiology and the things that go into behind that. And then the part of like being a personal trainer. And then I had, I was working 40, 50 hour weeks, people paying me a hundred dollars an hour. Wow. And somehow I just felt like I was using that as a stepping stone to pursue the safe job, which was teaching high school phys ed. And so I, that's what I did. And that was, that's the short version of that being my pathway. I will say though, that one thing was happening mentally for me was I was losing the passion for it as a personal activity. And this is the same reason why I've had two people in the last week ask me to coach them in fitness. And I'm just like, no, man, I'm like, hit me up on Instagram anytime, hundred percent of the time I'll send you a voice note back. But I'm like, I just, for me, it held an important place a couple hours a day where it was my outlet and my thing. And that's, that's the place that I wanted to put it, at least for that period in my life, where it was like, I need to use it for my own health and wellness as opposed to as a business thing. Yeah, that's the short answer. I like it. I like it. Yeah, no, that gives me a lot of ideas as well in terms of where I put it in my life. Cool. So appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. And we can talk the longer answers some other time. But yeah, that's a yeah. good question. We all change, right? We all evolve, like you said earlier. And that's true. huge. Uh, so the last wrap up thing is uh, where and why people can find you online. Yeah, so I would say probably my Instagram is the kind of collective. It has a little bit of everything. So that's sullybop, sullybop.com. S-U-L-L-Y-B-O-P, uh, Sully Bop Anywhere for 
all of that music. The podcast is Bobcast, so you can Google that too. You can Google all this stuff. Business is Podcast Principles, so you can Google that, podcastprinciples.com. So any of those three, uh, LinkedIn, I post every day. Instagram, I post every week. So if you want to connect with me somewhere, send me a message. Either of those platforms are fine. Email, it's all good. I check everything, probably too much. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this. It's been great. And definitely I'll have to run back round two sometime. This is amazing, man. Yeah, could have done three hours easily. Um, excited to have you on my show someday. You got to come down to Jersey, man. I'd love to do it with you. Yeah, that'd be great. Get a workout in too. That too. Let's go. Maybe by that point, I'll be writing and producing hip hop too. So we can do the trifecta of everything. <laughs> yeah, we'll do a song, a workout, a podcast. It's going to be like a three day event. Man. Yeah, yeah. And li- make some content. Live stream the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, that's it, brother. Thank you so much for doing this, man. Really. Right. I love talking with you, man. This is great. A lot of fun. Same to you. Appreciate it. Dang. JKL community, thank you so much for being here. Remember that if you have anyone in mind that would be a great guest, just reach out and let us know. Thank you to our guest, Ryan, such an energetic, focused, and philosophical creator. Be sure to check out and support his podcast, rap, or both. We love receiving your DMs about the show, good or bad, or any feedback is always fire, so let them fly. Send some messages when you have the time. Until the next episode, all the best, and remember, just keep learning. You're one step closer to making your big dreams come true, but there's plenty more where that came from. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode, and if you know anyone who might love the show, send them a link. We'll see you next time on Just Keep Learning with Justin at Just Tries.